This is a perfect storm of conspiracy theories. On December 15th, 2017, Canadian billionaires Honey and Barry Sherman were found dead in their mansion. To this day, the case remains unsolved. Counterfeit and uh, copied pharmaceuticals was much more lucrative than heroin, cocaine and the rest of it. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Listen to the no good, terribly kind, wonderful lives and tragic deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Damon Fairless. The past few weeks, the Icelandic town of Grindavik has been rocked by constant earthquakes, hundreds of them, and there's been a real threat of an imminent volcanic eruption. So the roads were completely broken apart. There was a crevasse like in the middle of the road that nobody could see how, how far down it was. Um, it was just like uh, like looking into a void, you know, the, the smoke coming out from the from the bursted water pipes. It looked like you were looking into hell. It was crazy. And you just imagined all the lava, like 500 meters below you, like waiting to burst through. So it was quite... That's Hannah Evanson. She's the manager of Katholt. That's a rescue center in Reykjavik. She and a small team have been going into Grindavik to rescue cats and other animals after its 4,000 or so human residents had been completely evacuated. It was Friday night, the 11th of November, where... Um, Police and rescues, uh, rescue teams were giving a, a warning about this uh, possible eruption due to a lot of earthquakes that had been happening. So they were given orders to evacuate the town at one o'clock in the night. So people had to kind of go without taking anything with them. Weeks later, it's still too dangerous for the residents of Grindavik to return to their homes for more than an hour or so. Today, we head to Iceland to hear what it's like for people there to live on top of the island's many active volcanoes, the challenges and the benefits, and how it shaped their culture and identity. Later, I'll be joined by Raga Augustdottir. She goes by the handle Lady Lava. She's the co-founder of an educational lava show in Reykjavik. But first, more from Hannah Evanson and her animal rescue mission. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. So, so tell, now you're based in Reykjavik, are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in Hafnarfjörður. It's a it's a suburban like area outside of Reykjavik. So, so tell me what brought you down to Grindavik? Okay, so uh, I'm a manager in the cat shelter in Iceland, and uh, we had been getting calls <laughs> like from people that could not go back to the town to collect their animals. Um, people were either abroad or they were just not mentally ready to go into this danger zone to grab and, and get what they love the mm-hmm. most, like their animals. So we uh, in Kartol, the shelter, and some other uh, animal uh, welfare uh, organizations in Iceland, we came together and created like um, a rescue group um, of 12 people. Mm-hmm. And we got keys from owners uh, to their houses and we got the addresses mm-hmm. and how many animals and what kind of animals there were so <clears throat> we at uh, at monday we had made a list of uh 58 or nine cats um we had chicken on the list we had turkeys we had fish frogs 
birds, parrots, uh, horses, sheep, bunnies, like you, just every animal. I have to ask, Hannah, so, I mean, you, you make it sound like, you know, it's a very pragmatic thing to do, but you, 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 you and these other volunteers were, you're putting yourself at risk to go rescue these animals. I mean, that, that's, that's really tremendous. What, what made you do that? Yeah. Well, if you, obviously if you put it like this, it sounds heroic, but at the time, like on, I just felt so bad for the people that couldn't go themselves to get their animals. So I was kind of representing them. And if I didn't have anyone except this volunteer from the cat shelter to go and bring my cat, I would put all my trust in that person. And I could feel that a lot of people were like depending on us. So that kind of just made it, you know, our goal just to go and rescue these animals. It wasn't until afterwards that the shock of the dangerous thing that we had all been through like hit us. Wow. So, so, so tell me what's going through your mind when you're, when you're in this danger zone, like, what are you worried about in the moment? I think, I think that when we had put these three cats in my car and then we got a message on the phones that the town was being evacuated like ASAP, then I, Mm -hmm. it, it, it occurred to me that the eruption could have started. So I like, I ran (laughs) and I don't know. Um, it's it's very strange to talk about being traumatic in a town where you don't even live. Um, I I can't mm-hmm. even put myself in in the shoes of the people that live there, mm-hmm. and and it was it was devastating to see like inside of the of people houses that were abroad and couldn't do anything. Everything had fallen off the walls. Um, walls were like broken broken in half, and uh, everything was a mess. You know water pipes bursting and you know so i know that a lot of people don't have the courage to move back even though that um that the police and 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 government are saying that it might be okay soon fairly soon but i don't think a lot of people are going back there i i I think i had the sense that the people living in gundavik were maybe um stoic about it they knew they're living in a place with volcanic activity but it, it really sounds like they've been traumatized yeah of course they have been hmm. very deeply, I would say. They're just kind of taking it day by day. And people that have visited the shelter, they are just crying, you know. They're just crying of uh they're 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 grateful that their cats are safe and they don't have to worry about that on top of everything else. So um that's beautiful that you know we can at least do that for them. Um <laughs> If only that, keep their cats safe, at least at the shelter. So I I just, I don't know. I don't know if they're ever going to be okay. Um, but they just, they yeah, they just wake up and they're like, okay, what 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 is today going to bring? You know, <laughs> they don't have any plan. You know, Christmas is coming. Some of them are losing the houses they've had borrowed since it happened. So, and the government is obviously trying to find a more permanent solution for everyone. With scientists monitoring the volcano, 
the priority of Prime Minister Katrin Jakobsdottir is the 4,000 displaced people. We have put forward a bill to the Parliament to ensure the salaries for the inhabitants of Brindavik, at least for the next three months. We are working to secure housing because 1,200 homes, people do not have guaranteed housing, so we are working on that. But it's like they're on a waiting list and, you know, nobody knows anything. It's, I think it's very, very hard for a lot of them. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Raga Augustotter is the co-founder of Lava Show Iceland, and she's an expert in all things volcanic. She's been following the situation closely and helping people make sense of what's happening through regular updates on TikTok. So Raga, we're talking on Wednesday, and as of right now, at least Grindavik doesn't seem to be facing the worst possible scenario, but it's still under threat of volcanic eruption. Uh, I, I guess what I'm curious about first and foremost is what are people most afraid of in terms of what this means for them, the kind of damage that, that volcanic activity like this can do? Uh, well, I would imagine that the people of Grintavik are most afraid that they will not be able to return to their homes. Uh, you know, I think the uncertainty must be the most difficult part, not knowing if or when you will be able to, re- to return, essentially. There, I'm also curious about the the surrounding area. I guess there's a couple of things. There's there's the Blue Lagoon, which is you know world famous as a as a geothermal kind of uh, hot like public bath spot. Um, and then there's also a, a geothermal power plant nearby too. So wh- how are how are folks who run those operations coping? I mean, these are big organizations. They have a lot of employees um, and. Like right now, the Blue Lagoon is just closed um, and it, it must be tough both for like the, the, the leadership and the owners just from a financial point of view. I mean, not knowing <laughs> how things are going to go um, and also for the staff. I mean, I don't know how much work you can do from afar. When it comes to the power plant, though, sure, there's been some minor damage and there's been some damage to the town of Grindavik. Listen to the roar of Mother Earth. That's the sound of magma, molten rock, bubbling away beneath the town of Grindavik, causing hundreds of earthquakes a day. I'm not sure about the town, it looks awful. My house is okay, but it's on the red area. The earth has collapsed about one meter or something. So the lava, you know, is under our house. We don't know if we're going to have a home or what. Uh, That is actually being worked on and fixed as we speak, but uh, I think it's pretty incredible and cool to watch how uh, the power plant has managed to keep its operations mostly running. 
uh, without a hit, essentially, uh, despite everything that's been going on. I've read that they're that they might be built, building protective walls uh, to potentially protect it from lava flows. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, there is. So basically, there's these two places where there is the potential for an eruption taking place right now. Uh, one is along the magma intrusion, that is sort of a 15-kilometer-long uh, dike, as it's called, um, that stretches like a little bit out under the ocean, uh, south of Kritavik, and mm-hmm. then like uh, some 15 kilometers inland. And the likeliest place for an eruption is actually in the middle section, of that dike and then there's also been deformation ground deformation and uplift uh just a little bit farther west just south of the power plant and the blue lagoon actually what is being worked on right now is to try and create these barriers these safety barriers so that you know in case of an eruption they will be able to hopefully prevent lava from flowing over the power plant and the power plant is the main concern because right. providing electricity and hot and cold water for entire region, not just the town of Grindavik, but actually like a very <laughs> big region of uh, about 40,000 people. So it's it's I mean you need the you need the geothermal heat obviously to run that kind of plant, but not too much, I guess. <laughs> Otherwise, you get a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that's one thing that I find quite interesting because we get a lot of questions about like, why on earth do you live on a volcano island? Why would you live in Iceland, you know, where there's volcanoes basically all around you? And I actually find it quite endearing that, you know, we actually would not be able to live in Iceland if it weren't for volcanoes Mm. Uh, they provide us with the necessary resources so that it's actually livable in iceland volcanoes are the reasons why we have uh, like hot water they are the reasons why we have abundance of very cheap electricity and Mm. you know basically that the living standards in iceland are the way that they are and i mean we have basically like uh, swimming pools and, and hot tubs in every little town in Iceland, it doesn't matter how small it is. It's a big part of the culture, right? Yeah, it's a big part of our culture. And if it's like 200 people, small town, it still has like its own little swimming pool. And uh, it's a big part of like where, like where people gather in the morning, you know, talk about politics and just, you know, swim a few rounds and then relax in the, in the hot tub. <laughs> I'd like to understand a little more about what makes, so it it sounds like, you know, Iceland culture and civilization is dependent on these volcanoes. So tell me what makes Iceland such a volcanic hotbed. Tell tell me about the the geophysics of it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's two main reasons why Iceland is so volcanically active. One is that Iceland is situated right on top of a very, very powerful mantle plume. Uh, it's also sometimes referred to as hot spots. And it's actually the reason, for instance, why Hawaii is such a volcanically active place, because Hawaii is sitting right on top of a mantle plume, right? So that basically means, I mean, the earth is sort of split into four main, main layers. It's like the crust, the outer crust, the surface where we 
where we walk around. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the core in the middle. And then the area in between is the mental. And it's split into like the inner mental and the outer mental. And, you know, the closer to the core, the hotter, right? And everything there in between is basically just molten rock, super, super hot molten rock. And the magma, the mantle plumes are continuously pushing the magma towards the surface. And, you know, where you have these instances, there's a higher likelihood of volcanic eruptions. In addition to that, Iceland also happens to sit on top of the mid-Atlantic ridge, which is essentially the uh, split by two tectonic plates. And they are continuously moving apart two and a half centimeters Mm. every single year. And so during that process, there are cracks that form in the crust that makes it easier for the magma to actually reach the surface. So these sort of two forces are the reason why Mm -hmm. Iceland is essentially the, like has the highest concentration of volcanoes in the world. So, so for those of us who don't live in a volcanically active area, this seems really scary. Like I, you know, plumes of magma and, and, and lava shooting about the earth is intense. So, uh, but, but, you know, Icelandic folks are, are, I guess, used to it. Civilizations built on top of it, as you say. So, but what, what, so what's this level of activity been like for you uh, to live through? Yeah. I mean, like you say, we are very, very used to this. Most of the inhabited areas in Iceland are around the coastline. And, you know, most of the volcanoes are inland, not all of them, but most of them. So, you know, us having a volcanic eruption happening usually is, if anything, it's just a little bit exciting. Having said that, uh, this situation now is a little bit different because it's so close to where people actually live. And it's so close to Mm. really important infrastructure. And that hasn't happened in a long, long time. It's been actually 50 years since there's been any real threat to people and infrastructure from a volcanic uh, eruption in Iceland. So, you know, that is why this maybe feels a little bit more threatening, more serious than what we've seen, for instance, in the last few years where we have this, what we sometimes joke around and call like tourist eruptions. You know, they're so small. They're really situated in places where there's no threat to anything or anyone. And you can actually take a hike up there and and just witness this spectacle of nature, right? So, Mm. um, (laughs) you know, we sometimes joke uh, joke around with it that, you know, Icelanders are a little bit weird in a sense that, you know, when when a volcano erupts, normally people would like run away from it. But Icelanders are like, woohoo, there's an eruption. The situation now is a little bit different. So tourism is a huge part of the industry there. You've got a business that is dependent on tourists, obviously. I'm curious what you're hearing in terms of the anxieties about how this may affect tourism. Yeah, I mean, I would say that everyone has this healthy concern uh, that, you know, this may have negative effect unnecessarily on the uh, interest to travel to Iceland because people are afraid, naturally, and that's understandable. And I feel like that's why it's our 
responsibility, all of our responsibility, who work in the field and basically everyone in Iceland and everyone that we talk to, like you guys, um, you know, about sort of communicating what is actually right and what is actually true and to sort of uh, calm these concerns and basically tell people that, you know, we understand why you may be afraid, but you don't have to. It's unnecessary at this point. And uh, right. it's just a very small area in Iceland that is affected. It happens to have right. the town of Grindavík and the Blue Lagoon included. But apart from that, everything else is just operating completely as normal. You mentioned the the infrastructure, the, the geothermal power plant is close by. The Blue Lagoon is close by. You mentioned how volcanic activity essentially is part of the foundation of being able to survive there. But I'm also interested in in how it shaped Icelandic culture, right? I mean, this, so I've, I've been there. It's, it's a beautiful, it's very, very harsh. And it's also otherworldly. It, it, the, the, this activity, this, this like really powerful geothermal activity, it's it shaped the culture. Can you, can you help me kind of understand the connection there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We actually sometimes joke around, you know, because you talk about otherworldly, so we actually say like planet Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does feel like it's that. I mean, Iceland is, as you say, it's shaped by volcanoes. The island itself would not exist if it were not for volcanoes, because ultimately it just sort of sprang out of the ocean in an eruption, and then it just grew and grew and grew over millions of years, right? So all of Iceland is at some point lava that has flowed. And um, so Given that, and given that we live on this highly active volcanic island that has all these uh, subsequent geothermal resources, means that, you know, it's an unpredictable island to live on. And what's more, as you know, <laughs> since you've been to Iceland, the weather can also be quite unpredictable. <laughs> you know, uh, it can be great weather, like one minute and then like an hour later, it's really not that great anymore. And uh, so that has, throughout the ages, really, really impacted the way that we have had to adjust in Iceland. And we actually, mm -hmm. like, we have a saying in Icelandic that is, um, it basically means it'll all be okay. And we sometimes mm -hmm. refer to it as our kind of hakuna matara, um, model right. that we have because be precisely because of the unpredictability of the nature and of the environment you know let's say that you lived like in the 1500s and you were a farmer uh, I mean you had to be able to react to unforeseen circumstances like maybe all of a sudden even in like the month of September there was going to be a storm and then, like, next month, there was a volcanic eruption not far away. And you have to adjust to those circumstances. So I think that it has, in many ways, created a sort of uh, flexibility, but also, like, resilience. I think, you know, mm. we've managed to survive <laughs> these harsh natural environments so, like, like, thus far. So I think it sort of tells you, you know, despite the threat, despite knowing what can happen you know we just believe in 
you know, living with volcanoes and, you know, having this healthy respect for Mother Nature and just, you know, working with her to try and uh, cohabit it, if you will. <laughs> Raga, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, that's all for today. I'm Damon Fairless. Thanks for listening to Frontburner, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.